Hi, hello, and welcome to Episode 5 of Beyond Strategy, an ACG National Capital Region podcast focused on leaders driving innovation, enhancing understanding, and achieving market-clearing outcomes in and around the D.C. area. I am Andy McEnroe of Raymond James's Defense and Government Investment Banking Team. And I'm Jen Wappas of Infinity Wealth at RBC. Today we are excited to present to you Bob Lofeld Jr., CEO of SevOneTech. SevOneTech is a leading provider of digital transformation, cybersecurity, cloud, and C5ISR solutions. The company supports critical mission challenges across the defense, intelligence, homeland security, space, and health markets. Bob is described by those in the industry as a hands-on executive leader who brings energy and passion to his organization. Driven by a desire to affect change, align business goals, and set strategic direction, which certainly aligns with this podcast. In our discussion, you will hear how Bob differentiates Sevon Tech through transparency, having difficult conversations, and how he retains his employees, even through all the acquisitions they've completed. They even have an employee chili cook-off, and I would really like to be the judge next year. I don't know about you, Andy, but I would like to do that. Sounds (laughs) delicious. Well, in my view, what separates Bob from the pack is his focus on integrating acquisitions quickly, building a common company culture across divisions, locations, and operating entities, as uh, demonstrated by the Chili Cookoff. And he's just an interesting guy with a couple of sayings and, and ways of life, if you will, that I think our listeners will be excited to hear. Absolutely. Now, here's our discussion with Bob. <laughs> We are excited to be joined today on Beyond Strategy by Bob Lofeld Jr., Chief Executive Officer of Sev1Tech. Bob, thank you for being here. Hey, absolute pleasure. Looking forward to it. Before we dive into what you've been building at Sev1Tech, I'd like to learn about what the mission statement is for Bob Lofeld Jr. What I mean by that is what are your core values and goals that you set out to achieve for yourself as a leader of a company? Yeah, so uh, on a very personal level, the, the only goal that I really focus on is wake up every morning and make a difference is what I'm choosing to do with the days I have on this planet purposeful and am I positively impacting the world around me? Um, We have some sayings that have kind of come out of that over the years, which is always mission before money and people before profit. And that comes from the vantage point of if we wake up and we choose to just serve ourselves, maybe we made ourselves better, maybe at the cost of other people. If we wake up and say, how do we make the people around us better? How do we make our communities better? We can make such a bigger impact on the folks around us. And that's what we really try to do. From a values perspective, I'm either a very easy or a very hard person to work with. Um, Integrity, honesty when it hurts, being brave and having conversations with people that are meaningful and purposeful, which I think is an art that we need to teach at this point in society. And, And lastly, always remembering that we all make mistakes. The question is whether or not we pick ourselves up, we dust ourselves off, and we give 110% to drive it to something meaningful. So a lot of the things and values that for me are all about purpose, drive, and really making a difference. And even when those values are hard to live, You've clearly applied those values to Sev1Tech, and, and you, you mentioned your goals. 
How do you go about measuring that in your day-to-day activity? Yeah, so a couple kind of short-term and long-term. So on the long-term side, what I look at personally is how many people within the company are we promoting internally? So Sevon Tech has a really bad reputation for importing people, you know, promoting people internally, which I think is wonderful. Could be a good reputation. Yeah, yeah, right? Because we don't always go to the outside, right? It's what do we have inside the company? And if we don't have someone that we can promote internally, what are we doing as a leadership team not to fleet up the people around us, right? And that's something that I look at uh, on a quarterly basis of where is our next generation leadership coming, whether it's technical, whether it's managerial, and what are we doing to grow them? Um, and grow them into good valued leaders, right? Because that's important here. You won't survive if you just kind of come in and do the I'm a lone wolf show. This is not the place to be. It's too collaborative. We jumped right into yeah. it, but any good story, any good company begins with its origins. And so prior to starting Sevon Tech, you were working for CBP. Mm-hmm. What led you to want to start the company? So have you ever worked for somebody that you absolutely loved working for? And when they were gone, it, it made a big difference. For me, that was one of my mentors at Customs and Border Protection. Um, I served Customs and Border Protection as a consultant doing the data center consolidations for Stennis, New York, and a bunch of stuff uh, internally and fell in love with the mission um, as a consultant at Project Performance Corp. And then I became a Fed. And I had a wonderful mentor in Charlie Armstrong, who was the CIO at the time, But the person that I just absolutely loved working for was Lorraine Landfried. And, um, you know, at the time I was 38 years old. I had uh, a group that I shared with Jeff Baer that was, you know, 360 people running around, five branches. I had plenty to do for a 38-year-old serving as a deputy director, right? When Lorraine left, she had about 800 people in her group. She went to VA to take on a really huge software division there, which was wonderful for her career. But for me, it left a gap of, it just left a gap of who is my partner now in this to help me push when we need to push, to think when we need to think, and to make a difference even when it's difficult, um, and to really, to make that happen in the organization. So when Lorraine Landfried left, it made me really think, okay, well, what's kind of my next role? And um, I, full transparency, I started going through the process for her job. And, uh, and and I'm like, I'm never going to make an SES. And unfortunately, I kept getting invited back for more interviews. Uh, and I'm going, okay, I'm 38 years old. Do I really want to be running an 800-person division um, at 38? Because I was a technologist. I was a data center guy, right? I love everything database and down. Um, I love business continuity. I love the data center operations themselves. I love cloud. Uh, I love networking. Um you know, I like to say I was one of the senior leaders that could still turn a wrench and jump in with the guys. I didn't want that for my career. So I ended up withdrawing from the SES candidacy program. And then uh, I started Sev1 Tech. At the time, it was kind of a big deal, right? Because I was just 15 and my wife was like, hey, this is great. And um, when I told her, hey, if I take Lorraine's gig, she's really good at the strategic stuff and the policy, right? I can go ahead and implement wherever she tells me to hit. Um, and uh, it just, it wasn't for me. And my wife is like, does that mean you're going to go to like all those working group meetings where you come home all stressed out? I'm like, yes, that would be my job. <laughs> so I said, it's either that, or we start a company and potentially go broke. And, uh, we ended up starting the company in 2010. And, uh, I, it has just been an absolute wonderful ride. But if you ask me why I did it, it was to stay close to the technology. 
two follow-up questions to that, yeah. and so we'll break it up. First, how do you pivot from the technologist to the leader you are today? Yeah. And two, how long of a leash did you and your wife give yourselves to start the company? So in full transparency, I was a data center relocation consultant for a bunch of years, and I can crush data centers like nobody's business, um, whether we're virtualizing them, whether we're just doing efficiency studies, whatever. So I told my wife, like, in a worst case scenario, I could always 1099 myself out <laughs> and somebody on the planet will work me to death until there's nothing left. So I'm not worried about putting food on the table. So for us, it was really about could we build a company that had the same values that I had at CBP and all my PPC and AMS and all these wonderful companies I've worked for, which was run whatever you do like a business, make sure the people around you know that you care about them and try to make them better. So we stuck to that. We stuck to that as, hey, look, this is the mission we want to go on, right? Uh, people before profit, mission before money. Um, let's make sure everything we do, we deliver more to our customers. And my wife, who is my best friend, and we've been together 25 years, was just beyond supportive. And uh, so I didn't have that if this doesn't work out in a year or whatever. It was more like, you may never see me because I'm going to go data, data center relocations around the world, right? But we ended up growing a lot faster than we thought. Uh, well, let me go back to one because you said technologist to leader. Um, those people are unicorns. So even today within Sev1 Tech, I have some amazing technologists that don't practice empathy enough to be a great leader. And I have some great leaders that no matter how much training I send them to, will probably never be the person to come in and pitch the architecture. We try to look for those unicorns and identify them early. For me, my personal journey, because I came up in the program management and running very technical, large, high-risk projects, um, my 30-year reputation is the guy who wants to run towards the fires and take on the projects that nobody else does because I find it fulfilling. Um, it was really um, that moment where you say, okay, I can't do this anymore. And for me, it was about 300 employees. At 300 employees, I was still billable um, on absolutely wonderful programs that today, if I didn't have to do leadership, I'd go right back and work on. Uh, <laughs> but, but it was, the company now is too big. Um, you find as a CEO, the company, if you're doing it right, is no longer about you at about 100 people, right? Because they're not buying you anymore. From zero to 100, you better be available 24 hours a day because every client is still buying you right, to come in and help in some way or fashion. When it got bigger, it wasn't about that. It was about how do I start building leaders like myself with the same values and start focusing on the processes of the company. Where it gets really scary is about 500 employees because then that's primarily what you're doing, mm -hmm. right? At three to 500, you can still dabble a little bit in the technology. At 500, it's really about the, the process and the culture and the, what are you trying to drive through the company? So for me, it was really personally hard. Um, the joke was, is the only reason I'm not billable is the management team came to me and told me you can be billable anymore. <laughs> and, and that was in 2017, seven years into the company. Um, there's one particular project we have in Colorado that I would go work for that customer all day long um, if I didn't do this for a living. So uh, now at 1,000, I still keep technically relevant but that's because of me. A lot of my peers uh, focus more on the financial side and the comp running the business side of the economics. I am still a technologist today. I can still go in and rock a deck. 
I'm still a consultant. Um, I'm just not billing for it. I'm mainly doing it for my own people in the company. Uh, well, so. I'm sure that creates a collaborative environment, though, that, you know, that, that fosters the teamwork that has made Sev1 Tech unique in the marketplace. I, I've heard you speak about it before, but what are those defining features that make Sev1 Tech unlike other companies in the government contracting universe? Yeah, I think it's great. So, so the one thing we call it is Sev1 connectedness, and it sounds a little soft, but it really is. What we try to inspire is communities is that this isn't a job. If you just want to come and punch in and punch out and disappear into the woodwork, there are wonderful publicly traded companies that you can go do that at. Mm -hmm. It's not here. Here we want you to engage. If you want to be eligible for a bonus, you're going to do eight hours of community service a year. If you don't want to do community service, you probably don't belong here because one of our core tenants is giving back to the communities that we live in. And that's okay. Make that choice, but just make that choice and go somewhere else. The other thing that's important is the sense of team. So we do a lot of events with the employees together that are outside of the meat grinding of the work to really foster those connections between people and team, right? I mean, kind of the side effects of that is we've always had a wonderful, diverse company, uh, very inclusive. We didn't, you know, all the stuff that's cool now we've been doing since I started it. Yep. Making sure the employees see each other as people and stay connected has been part of our DNA. The other thing that I will tell you that's a little different um, than some of the companies I've grown up around is we really do have a long-term view on employees. Um, early on, we try to uh, identify what we call base clay, which is who really comes into the company with a set of values that we can't teach which is if you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I swear to God I will research it before I go to bed because it will kill me if I don't. I can't teach that. But if you have that, I can build a lot around it and I can teach a lot around it. So the identification of what we call rising stars um, in the company is still very part, much part of the culture. The other thing that is a core tenant of values that makes us different is a concept called space between your ears. And it's something I've said for 30 years. I grew up in D.C., so I grew up in this big multicultural melting pot. It was just different than most people's experience. And as you travel around the world, you really appreciate that people have very different realities growing up. But in mine, everything that I did was about the space between your ears. Gender, preference, race, where you came from, how much money you had, it never made a difference in my life growing up, and it never made a difference at Sevlin Tech. So what we tell people is, look, when you come in here, you get a chance to be promoted, not based on anything other than did you do the job and did you perform. And that has led to this company, and not because we have a program. If you look at my management team, it's 50% women, 40% minorities. If you look at our company, we have more women leaders than most companies twice our size. Um, it's because we don't create those barriers and we're very transparent about it. If we promote somebody and you're 50 and you don't like working for a 30-year-old, go work somewhere else. Or work harder to be better than them because if they're the best, they're going to get the gig. That is very different here. The other, I would say, value that we have is transparency and being brave about transparency. I share financials with my employees I talk about the good, I talk about the bad, 
Um, on my town halls, I leave open Q&A, and it's not like a punt to HR. Um, you know, we actually answer things on our town halls. That sense of transparency is what helps make everyone better is another differentiator. So driving that culture, I call it my big social experiment, is really what it is. Let's uh, shift a little sure. bit into this. Um, how has Sev1 Tech's culture changed over time as the organization has grown and you've introduced outside equity partners in, in DFW Capital Partners, Enlightenment Capital to help fuel this growth? Yeah. So, so far, I've been absolutely blessed. Um, I did something different that most companies don't do where I actually went to a private equity and said, hey, I'm interested in you based on the work that you did with I and with Steve Eichert, who's just a wonderful human. What, what DFW was known for is just building great companies. And whether that great company grows in 36 months or grows in five years, they're not like a cookbook private equity. You know, hey, three years, blow it up, sell it. Yep. So they were a good match for me because honestly, as a CEO, I'm a nightmare for some private equity guys, <laughs> right? Because no, I'm all about great. how do we make these long-term investments, mm-hmm. right? And, and how do we how do we but, leverage? But yeah, there's people. not that fixed time horizon. Yeah, like yeah. I'm not in a hurry, right? As long as I wake up and have a place to take a shower, I'm good to go. Yeah. Um, so, I think for me, it hasn't affected the culture because of that relationship. Mm-hmm. I can still call DFW and not feel like I'm putting on a show. Sure. Right, where you listen to some of these calls where you're like, wow, I kind of know that's not actually what's happening. I love listening to earning calls and my competitors because it's public. And yeah. it's like, ah, that's really not true. That's kind of a cluster <laughs> over there. Um, but, but for us, we've just had that great relationship. So the culture hasn't fundamentally changed. Mm-hmm. What has changed is some of the customs that we've brought into the company. Sure. So when we bought ESP, um, we had some amazing folks come in like Don Patalunas, um, Kristen Shaner, um, that were, you know, a different type of uh, culture. Um, it was Army, you know, I'm just thinking uh, Elvis. There's a bunch of folks that they just came out of an Army culture, and a lot of them were out of New Jersey. Well, New Jersey is very different than Virginia. Absolutely. Um, so some of the things that we brought into that, into the company, were just more sort of regional customs that we could say, hey, we, we want to do this. And that that core value of Seven Tech never changed. When we did Geosent, Geosent was based out of Louisiana. Louisiana has its own set of customs. So this year, in addition to doing the chili cook-off, which has always been a Sevon Tech tradition, um, we did crawfish boils in five cities across the country. We definitely picked the wrong day for this interview. Yeah, I know. We should yeah. have been there. So, so we actually brought crawfish boils to Aberdeen, right, to our whole C5 ISR team. Um, you know, we just built out a new office in Augusta. Well, Augusta has some. So how do we take... What Sev1 Tech is going to fund anyways is the employees coming together around something. But how do we do that in a regional way? Sure. So the values haven't changed. Some of the things we do have. How, how do you ensure that those cultures mesh, though? Because you've got different geographic locations. You've got different heritage from the, from the two acquisitions. And then you've got kind of headquarters here in Woodbridge, Virginia. How do you ensure that all of it blends together to maintain that one culture type approach? It's hard. So it's really hard. Uh, if you ask me what I spend too much time on is that exact paradigm. Is how, how do I keep the feeling the same now that we're in 38 states and eight, eight countries internationally? I think it's providing some flexibility in how we let those values live out. Like next year, we're talking about doing a float in one of the New, uh, the, the New Orleans, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mardi Gras. Right. Okay. There, right. Oh, so a seven one float. Now it'll be the only float with eagles and all the stuff that represent the country, the, sure. the company. 
but uh, taking some of that regionality in it, right? A, a low a low county boil in Charleston, right? That's different than a chili cook-off, but for them it makes more sense. Absolutely. So I, I think it's it's hard, um, but if you let people take those same values, they kind of run with it. So let's talk recruiting and how you Oof. grow the business Ouch. through strategic <laughs> hires. Yep. Because you're breeding these unicorns here that you have, these employees. But what's the pitch for why a potential employee should join One Tech over another organization operating in the federal market? So I love the question because I still remember the first two years of the company, I had to convince people to come here. It was kind of the, the, uh, the core folks and I in the first year. It was kind of our show and it was trust us, we can make payroll. (laughs) <laughs> and that was kind of the pitch. Sure. Right? Yeah. Uh, and we're fun because I do have a reputation of being both hard and fun. Um, so now it's different. What I tell people is, look, don't try to figure out if you want to work here because there's enough information out on Google. If you spend 15 minutes, you'll either decide that the culture of the company is a fit for you or it's not. Because you'll see employee videos out there about community service. You'll see employee videos there about, you know, being promoted as an analyst who's now a vice president within six years simply because they deserve it, how hard they Mm -hmm. work and how smart they are. If what we have, and all my management team members have their own videos about what's in their Sev1 world, um, if that resonates, then let's talk about your career. Where do you want to go? Because maybe we can help you, maybe we can't. Right. But if we know where you want to go and we know where the company's going over time, we should be able to make a great marriage. So getting people to come to the company really is easy for the people we want to try to attract. Now, obviously, there's markets that are really tough, right? Like um, if you're looking for cyber with an SCI degree, you know, SCI clearance, I'm fighting over the same, but I fight differently. I generally don't fight on money Mm -hmm. because for us, that's a secondary driver. I mean, you know, we gave a quarter million when Hurricane Maria came down for medicine for the elderly, right? That came out of our bonus pool. Sure. Um, hurricanes, right? We support those when they come down there. We send people, we send materials, and we'll take a vote as a company. Hey, do we want to take a piece out of the bonus pool and give it towards this national disaster? Mm-hmm. So we're just, we compete differently. And and what's wonderful now is if you got on Glassdoor, except for the occasional crazy person, you'll see that our scores are off the charts. So I don't have to sell it anymore. Yeah. They can just talk to the employees and say, yes, this is different. I've seen people get promoted internally and the sense of belonging that we've created, I think makes us different, but it's hard at a thousand employees. It's hard. And as we get to 2000, I'm losing hair over. How do I keep scaling? So, And you've continued to scale across markets. You mentioned the C5 ISR division. You continue to do work for that um, central customer in CBP that you you came from. You're doing work in space. You've got IT modernization capabilities. What's next in the evolution of Sev1 Tech? So with Geosent, we actually brought in a capability that if you asked me in 2010, I'd never think that we would have. We have an amazing group of scientists, PhDs, and engineers that are doing astronomical type work, aerospace engineering. The thesis for us with Geosan acquisition was let's bring science into the enterprise because we're great at talking customers of, to, about mission, but we're not really good on the science side of their business. So one of our guys, you know, is uh, was one of the lead architects on the on the shuttle motors. Uh, the other guy is designing CubeSats. Uh, we have a bunch of folks doing space exploration. We're really excited about the Artemis launch. So where Sev1 Tech was always space defense, 
you know, satellites is where most people know us, right? We're in a bunch of different satellite ecosystems, both commercial and, and warfighter. Now bringing in space exploration to our commercial space build uh, business, space is a dominant theme for us going forward. Because now we're not just working on uh, the imagery and alerting side of the business. Now we're working on payloads and getting things up and out of the atmosphere. The other one that I would say is a thrust for us going forward is the C5ISR domain. So again, with Geosent being Navy-focused on the C5ISR stuff, uh, sorry, uh, business, and our Army division, which is just does phenomenal work in tactical radios, tactical uh, radars, it's really brought a C5 ISR theme to the company, is how do we leverage what we're doing across those two divisions of the military? And quite frankly, how do we take that to our commercial business? So I see us kind of doubling down on space. Um, you know, it doesn't mean we're not doing DHS because we've been in DHS forever and we love that client, we love that mission. But the chemistry right now for us to have exponential growth is in space. Uh, whether it's, you know, we support Air Space Force, we have pieces of Air Force, we have a bunch of commercial aerospace customers, we have NASA. The space portfolio for us is coming together, which is kind of cool. Jen touched on organic through strategic hires, and, and Bob, you mentioned your employee development program. What about on the inorganic side with DFW and Enlightenment uh, uh, as tailwinds for you? Are there acquisition targets, market areas that you're looking to acquire your way into? So right now uh, with Geosent, we have just a wonderful, uh, you know, even even larger management team and even larger talent pool of just really amazing people. So if you ask me what I would look for in an acquisition, it would probably, you know, we do have a business problem in that I've never doubled down on one service. Like, hey, let's just be the C5 ISR guys. Because to me, it's probably my own, uh, I guess, like of different types of business and learning and, and living in different environments. But I'm very interested in getting into some more sectors of law enforcement um, some additional sectors uh, in the satellite business. Um, and I'm also selfishly, I guess, interested in doubling down on our IT modernization work. It's no secret that Sevon Tech is known as the engineer's company, right? I mean, we do massive modernization projects. And, and in my opinion, we do it better than anyone else because we're vendor agnostic and we're not in everybody's pockets. We just do what's best for the client. We do it quick. So uh, I think that's another theme where we could see some acquisition. Right now, I don't have any targets that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm drooling over where I'm, I'm ready to roll. But in this business, you have to be opportunistic because if something comes along that's meaningful to the company, um, we're all on. I guess the, the one thing that I would say is we don't go after every book that comes to market because the values have to be there. And yep. Geosent and Dr. Bobby Savoie, who's now my partner in the business, I mean, it's weird. Like, we keep the CEOs when they're good, and, you know, we, we, we integrate their management team in with ours. And um, we just had such a kindred spirit on values and people and technology. And, you know, Bobby's uh, passion is for the science side of the business, which is great. Yeah. My passion's for the IT mod side, right, and the satellite side. So very complementary. The companies that we will acquire going forward will share those same values. 
they will have that same feel. And, you know, at the three to 500 employee level, you still see a lot of those founder CEOs that have great companies that fit what we do. Yeah, I've heard you speak about it before. It's not really acquisition as the way I was describing it. it it's partnership, it's merger, it's two yeah. winning cultures and two yeah. winning organizations coming together to find common success. Yeah, I always tell people I'm Bob the Builder, not Bob the Destroyer. Uh, <laughs> and, and if I can't see that I can sit with these people and go, God, some of them are better than the people that are already in the company. Or, wow, you know, I'd let these people watch my kids for the weekend. I won't strike a check. I won't ask DFW to strike a check. It's just a different philosophy. I want to work with the people that I want to work with. So as we progress towards the end of our time today, sure. I'd like to pivot towards life lessons that may be additive to our the, towards the audience. So what's one lesson in your career that you think everyone should learn at some point? So the first thing that uh, I think about every day and I would say it probably was not until my 40s that I really uh, appreciated it, was time. Mm -hmm. We don't get the time to go back. If there's a difficult conversation, don't wait to have it. If there's a difficult choice you have to make, not making it is as catastrophic as whatever the outcome it could be. Yeah. And you will never get a chance to unwind that time and do it over. So for me, again, back to purposeful, what am I doing today to make a difference? And the stuff that I may naturally want to try to avoid, why am I not hitting it head on? And training yourself to just wake up and be fearless. Wake up, make the decision, move forward. We call it fix forward at Sub One Tech. Make a decision, but my God, don't make it. It's probably the most important lesson learned because I see a lot of people that uh, I've worked with over the years that are a whole lot of fun, but they don't advance in their careers. Or if they advance, they end up on a turkey farm over to the left on a special project that nobody knows what it is. It's so special, right? Mm. Um, the leaders that I enjoy are the ones that are pretty fearless about making decisions and making the tough ones. I mean, people always say, oh, you know, your employees love you and you have so much they have so much respect for you. And, and I think it's because they see me make the hard decisions right? They see me not be sheepish about the decisions I've made and quite frankly, take the time to explain it to them if they ask. You know, I know you guys love this person, but here's why they're not here. And I'm happy to tell you why. Or, hey, I know you really thought this person should get the promotion, but here's why I picked this person. Yep. And that fearlessness and not avoiding difficult conversations, mm -hmm. I think is the key to culture. Because if you can teach people to be honest with each other when it hurts, when yes. it's a little bit of risk, yes, right, it just is. It makes a better environment. It's hard though. It's really hard. That's hard. It's really hard. I always say you can ha you can sleep on it one night, and then after that you need to freaking go and <laughs> make it. your decision. Yeah, and not making a decision is yeah. making a decision. Yeah, and yeah. at five o'clock, if I go, hey, I just need to go home and go to bed. Everyone knows I'm about to make a big decision, right? <laughs> now we know. Yeah. Well, we've touched on it kind of throughout the interview, the balance between work and family. You mentioned your wife and, yeah. and your kids earlier. How, how do you balance those obligations for, for those of us like myself that are in awe of all that you've achieved professionally? It's not easy. So uh, I'm married to my best friend. Uh, we've been together 29 years. We've been married 25. Um, she was our CFO till 2019. So I had a competitive advantage in my marriage in that my wife understood and really thought people working 80 hours a week was normal. Um, 
So in 19, when I'm, uh, Denise joined us as our new CFO, my wife went part-time. I have three kids. I've got 17, 16, and 12. We split it up and we work it. I travel every other week, which is, you know, um, what I have to do to run the company. My wife never gives me a hard time about that, but I'm always present on the weekends. So I have a, a technique that I recommend everybody do. I don't carry my cell phone on Saturday. So um, I find people whose marriages are struggling are mainly because we're not present and focused for our partners. And we have become slaves to the technology that's, while it's wonderful, makes us think differently, makes us focus differently, and quite frankly, takes away from the human experience, in my opinion. And I know I'm a technology guy, but this is really what I believe. <laughs> so what I tell people is 7 a.m., you can check your phone for 15 minutes. If there's nothing burning down, right? You are not to carry it until 7 p.m. And if you have to carry it, you absolutely cannot look at your email. If something is going on, whether it be personal or professional, they will call you if there's really an issue. But damn it, take that day and focus on your family. Focus, whatever family looks like for you, be present in the moment and be meaningful. And to me, it sounds stupid. One day of really just saying to the person you're with, I love you and my time is yours. Makes up for anything you can do the ever the other six. Same thing with my children, right? So, you know, on my week here, I'm running around dropping off kids to karate, wherever they're all going, right? Now, I have one that drives now, which is awesome. <laughs> but, but, you know, I've done, I do Girl Scouts, I do everything. But the way everybody knows on Saturday, the only way you're ever going to get me is if you call me because I'm not going to look at it because that's my time to put back into my family. And it does work. If you're ever like, oh, my God, my spouse is driving me crazy, try not carrying your cell phone for a day and see how your perspective changes about the person you're sharing your life with. I mean, that's incredibly impactful and maybe a challenge for our audience to at least do it for one Saturday. Try it. Yeah. Well, everyone's like, oh, I can't do that. I'm like, well, I run a thousand person company and I can do it. Yes. If you can't do it, then you probably have the wrong people on your team. Right. And if they can't do it, they probably haven't done enough with their team. So figure out what the root cause is. But if I can do it, anyone can do it. And it speaks to your culture at the company and at home. Yeah, like, if it's there's an issue with my family, my mom is not going to send me an email. So why do I need to check my email every five minutes, right? She's going to call me. I always pick up a phone, but will not look at email. So we end all of our interviews with maybe the most imperative question that we ask. Sure. What's the most important thing that we should know about Bob Lowfield? Oh, God. Um, that 90% on the planet of the planet really likes me. The other 10 really don't <laughs> like me. So I, I'm like, either I'm an acquired taste. <laughs> no, um, so for, I think the most important thing about me is I really view life as this journey where we're here to make a difference. I don't believe any of us are smart enough to challenge anybody on what happens afterwards because I don't know many people that get the afterwards, come back and tell me what's going on. So, so I try to focus on what can I do here? What can I do here every day when I wake up to make a difference? And that is why... Um, you know, even sometimes when people approach me at uh, events and networking events, I'm not like the chatty, let's just talk about like something random. I don't TikTok. I don't, <laughs> you know, you're not going to twit your way to me and tweet <laughs> and everything else. I, I like purposeful dialogue. 
Because yes. even when I'm at a networking event, I'm thinking, you know, who are the people that I really want to talk to and what conversation? So typically you'll find me off with like two, three people having a very meaningful conversation mm-hmm. instead of the butterfly person. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just with me. It's not that I'm being rude. It's not that, you know, it's great if we want to talk about, you know, something that is, um, you know, uh, I'm going to say very an easy topic for like a couple of minutes. Yeah. But then I'm going to be like, okay, let's shift to something more interesting or like. Tell me what you think of this. or So I am kind of a deep guy. Come with good questions. Yeah. Well, obviously, a great story thus far in the evolution of Sev1 Tech. A lot fun. Of, a lot of horsepower still uh, left in the tank, though, and a long way to go. I I'm only 50, so I figure if I'm going to be working for the next 15 years, I might as well work with the people I already like. I already like so. And I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if you get a lot more uh, networking happy hour approaches now just to talk about the no phone Saturday uh, policy. Yes. I've saved many marriages with that, Ooh. including my own. Bob the Builder, CEO and marriage consultant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What else do you do? Uh, that's a farming, but that's a different story. We'll save that. <laughs> next time. Yeah, we'll save that for the next one. Bob Lofeld, CEO of Sev1 Tech, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys for the opportunity. It's been wonderful and appreciate your partnership. Well, that was one heck of a conversation with Bob Lofeld Jr., CEO of Sev1 Tech. I really like the Saturday no-phone challenge. Is that going to come into effect in the WAPAS household? Absolutely. I think that I, I will try. I'll try my best. I don't know if we'll be able to do it. <laughs> it would be a big fail for yeah. me, for sure. It'd be a little difficult, a little difficult, but we'll try. I hope we get to have him back for another conversation because it felt like we could have gone on for hours. But but the insight he had into how to run a business, how to grow a business, how he leveraged his private equity partners, and then how he worked to establish a common culture was just tremendous and I think could be applied to any organization across the national capital region. Absolutely. I'd love to have him back. Well, special thanks to Bob Lofeld Jr. once again for joining us. And a reminder to all you fans out there to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For Jen Wappis, I am Andy McEnroe thanking you for joining us. And remember to tune in next time for another edition of the ACG National Capital Region podcast, Beyond Strategy.